and welcome to the How to Eat Alone podcast with me, Julia Georgialis. I'm a baker and I write about food. This podcast discusses issues surrounding solitude and solo dining. Over the last few episodes, I've been talking to different people about various aspects of loneliness and aloneness, which are not necessarily the same thing. With every episode, I've been sharing recipes designed for one because I find that most recipes are written for two or more people, so you can cook along whilst you listen. Think of this podcast as kind of like a dining buddy. This episode is about babies, or in mine and my guest for this episode, Elizabeth Scott's case, a lack of them. I don't know what your experience of this is if you also don't have children, but I've reached an age now where people just openly started asking me what my personal plans for procreation are. Like, not just friends and family, but it's strangers as well now. Bizarrely, it's even got to the point where over the last few months, so many Uber drivers have asked me whether I had kids or if I wanted kids or will I have kids in the future or did I have anyone to have kids with? It's a bit of a funny topic for me. I am nowhere near having children. I've been on a bit of a weird journey with it, actually, and with the idea of starting a family. But aside from that. Recently I've kind of made peace with the fact that if I have children in the future that will be lovely but also if I don't have children in the future then that's going to be lovely too and I'm just going to continue to live my best life so I don't necessarily mind all that much when people ask but I'm not sure it's small talk or uber passenger chat. It's a question loaded with so much societal expectation specifically for women and you don't know how a woman has experienced these expectations in her life and whether there's been any trauma surrounding motherhood for her. In my case there's two main very simple reasons why I haven't had kids. The first is that I've never met anyone that I thought was suitable to father my children. The second wasn't necessarily conscious I've kind of only realized it recently but ultimately I had shit to do guys. I had things I wanted to experience before children and things that I wanted to do for myself, which is the case for a growing number of women. Did those Uber drivers ever think of either of those things when they asked me those questions? That it's sometimes a woman's choice to not have children and for some of us it's not necessarily that we're just sitting here waiting in the wings for someone to choose us to be the mother of their children. There's so much to say on this matter, but to kick this discussion off... I spoke to the incredibly outspoken Liz Scott to discuss her very clear decision to not have children and her experience of having a hysterectomy a few months ago. Liz has become a bit of a spokesperson recently for smashing expectations about motherhood. She's featured in the Berlin-based We Are Child Free project. She's also spoken to the likes of the New York Times about her decision to not become a mother. Now, I love the irony of what Liz does for a living, and we start by talking about that. Tell me about your job. What's your job description? I'm a high-profile nanny, is my job description. So I look after newborn babies of people in the public eye, usually start when they're around three, four months, usually stay for the first year of their life, one or two maximum Have you ever stayed longer with with the kids? Yeah, for sure, yeah. The longest I stayed was from zero to five. Was that just because you loved the kids? 
yeah, I did that particular child, but it also just messes you up when you stay for that long. Really? So after that job, I just made a conscious decision to nip it in the bud and just get the job done, you know, and then switch every year because then you don't get too attached. Right, right. And what is it about newborns? Uh, you can take them to wine shops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, babies are so cute and I really just like having an influence and an impact on children. When they're so young, they're taking absolutely everything like a sponge, you know? Yeah. I I also just think you're having such a massive impact on the on the women, on the on the mothers as well. That's a really good point. That's true. You're like the most helpful you could ever be in that first really difficult year. Right, exactly. It's giving them tips on what to do, how to manage, right? I've seen a million babies. This is their first one. So it is it is really handy. So, I mean, the reason that I wanted to talk to you was because you've been very vocal about your decision not to have children and you've been involved with various projects which promote women being child-free but have you always known that you didn't want kids? Kind of. Like, I always had an inkling, and then I really made the firm decision about 26. I mean, obviously, not wanting kids and not liking kids are two completely separate things, but, like, how did you get into childcare? It's really funny, actually. I got into childcare because I hated kids. Oh, you're joking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely despised kids. Kids, babies, the lot of them, hated them. And then um, my mum became pregnant. Um, she didn't plan it when she was 40. So I was already 19, turning 20. And I was like, sod this. Like, this is going to ruin my life. I'm not babysitting. I don't want to come home from work and listen to screaming. And I was just like, I don't want to live in a house with a baby. And she's like, well, tough, because we're having one. This is happening. And she was like, you know what? You've got real big attitude. Why don't you do something else with your time? Like go and volunteer in a play centre or do something. Just learn to like children. You know, they're really innocent. It's not going to be your brother's fault when he comes into this world. And I really think you ought to do something so that you aren't mean to him. And I was like, oh, she's got a point. And I did it. And it turned out to be so much fun. I was like, ah, not all kids are little shits. Some of them are pretty cool. And they have interesting things to say. And then what, 15 years later, well, 20 rather, I've just decided what I like best, you know, but I've worked with all kids and teenagers and yeah, it's really interesting. I've been having a look at the We Are Child Free project, which is great. Yeah. How did you kind of find that? So it was someone that I knew quite loosely, actually. So I started to see her stories and early interviews just cropping up. And I was like, oh, that seems really interesting. I can really relate to it. I've always been the odd one with my friends that never really had long-term relationship. It's funny because I still get broody from time to time. I'm like, oh, that baby's so cute. I mean, I'm not sure if you can call it the same thing, but I've often thought about what would it be like if I was to be a mum. 
I have a baby name list on my phone that I compare with my friends. It's really weird, but when I think about it for long enough, and when I discuss it for long enough with my friends, I just, oh, no, I really don't want to be responsible for another human being for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's totally fair enough. Yeah, I don't want to. I like kids. I like spending time with them. My closest friends are in the process of getting kids or already have a kid. And it's like, I'm super excited to be like an auntie or a proxy parent. But it's like, no, I have absolutely no desire to go through all of that forever. Do you feel like the odd one out? Yeah, definitely. 100%. But I've always been that way. Because you grow up thinking, right, I've got to meet someone. Especially from like, also, I went to secondary school just outside of London. So it's kind of suburban. And that's more what suburban people tend to do. You go to school, you go to college, and then you either go straight to uni or you stick with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever that you've had since forever. And then you talk about moving in together and then yada yada. And I even just the moving in part with someone, you know, I had friends that moved in with their boyfriends as young as 19, 20. And I was just like, why? Why do you want to get a mortgage at that age? Like, I want to travel. I don't even want to live in this country anymore. And I just did it. I've always been that odd one that just went traveling here, learned this language, ate that food. And my friends always just lived vicariously through me. And then it was only really until I moved to Paris that I met women that were the same as me, what I felt were the same as me. And they're like my really good friends now. The only difference is they want to be parents and I don't. Yeah. I think everything you've just said, I relate to it so much. Like, definitely helps, doesn't it, to to be surrounded by women who just respect what you're doing. Like, even if you do feel like the odd one out, they'll still respect it. Yeah. You grew so you grew up in sort of London or around London. I grew up in London, West London, W10 represent. <laughs> Left when I was thirteen, and we, my mum bought a house in Milton Keynes. I moved to Paris. I only did one year at first because it didn't really agree with me. I don't know. So I left Paris, and then I moved to Milan. I stayed in Italy for a bit, and then I was like, no, I'll go back to Paris. And I stayed in Paris for nine years, and now I'm really on my fourth year in Berlin. But your family, did you say, were Ghanaian? Yes. So Ghanaian, London, but like London and also suburbs and Paris and Berlin and Milan. Yeah. That's a lot of different cultures. How do you think all of those different cultures think of child-free women? And, And have you had different treatment in all of those countries and cultures that you've been exposed to about not having kids? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. I hadn't thought too much about it, right? Because when I move countries, it's still always for childcare. So the people that I'm hanging around are family people, right? So I don't know. I'm trying in Italy, no, it wasn't that weird, I don't think. It was also still a period where I was just deciding that, you know. I wasn't quite sure, so my my answers maybe to questions around that probably weren't so defined or as harsh. And then Paris, 
yeah, people did find it strange, but also not very strange because it's super difficult to meet someone in Paris. French men are absolute Lotharios, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know I've dated a couple. <laughs> also, Paris is the first city where I met a lot of older mums, you know? So it was never really an issue for me then. I've only really been talking about it more and more since I've moved to Berlin and in particular since I've moved to Prenzlauerberg because don't quote me on this but I think Prenzlauerberg is just the most populated neighborhood of people starting families it's like a known place to come and have a kid because everything facilitates young families here that's really interesting. But I also feel like Berlin is a place where, it, you know, if you want to go to Berlin and be in a thruple and adopt a kid and raise them with two other people, or you, it, Berlin is the place to go because it's, the, it's, it's very open-minded, fa- like family structure-wise and also everything else-wise. Yeah, this is also the thing why people are still moving here in a hurry, right? It's re- yeah, it's really interesting place to live. So definitely for my job anyway. <laughs> I'm Cypria and I'm 33 and childless and I would like to have kids, but I don't know when it's going to happen. And I-, I see I see my aunties looking at me out the side of their eyes like, what's she doing? She's very old. Does that happen in the Ghanaian culture as well. Absolutely. You know, especially African women, it's customary to just pop them out, not really stop. And um, <laughs> I was just, <laughs> like, no way. I, I'm so far removed from that anyway. But also it's quite different because my, my mum moved to London when she was five. So she's more British. Yeah, she's more British than Ghanaian. So... It, it changes and influences a lot because she didn't really have that. So it wasn't really passed on to us. I'm kind of in the same situation that my mum was born here. But I do still see it in the diaspora, like even though people are here and, they, you know, their families have been here for 50 years. There's still these like really old school pressures, although it, there's, there's just pressure on women. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's really unpopular to be a woman, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, it really is, isn't it? I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that really interests me and I was I, I saw about your, your hysterectomy. Yes. And I, I read a, a couple of things and listened to another podcast with another woman who decided to have a hysterectomy. She didn't want kids. I mean, I'll say I'm surprised. I guess deep down I wasn't really to find that her doctors didn't want her to do that. And how do you find your doctors treated you with your your hysterectomy and and your decision to have a hysterectomy? This was interesting because um, I never really saw a whole bunch of doctors when I lived in France. The decision to have that led up to the hysterectomy was the fact that I found out I had endometriosis. So my periods were absolutely awful and they've always been awful, but I kind of just put up with it because, you know, that's what women do. We put up with things. We think, oh, well, it's just I've been dealt a bad card, but I'm sure someone else has it the same or, you know, you just put things to the side and crack on with it. And then one particular month, the pain was absolutely excruciating. I would come on my period and sometimes they would be so strong, I would just pass out. Oh, my God. I was just like, 
this can't be happening when I'm in charge of another human being that is so tiny that can't walk. What if I'm carrying a baby and I luckily I've been putting up with it for so long I kind of realized, recognized the signs of when it was like happening or you know when I was in too much pain or and of course you don't take you don't take time off of work once a month because you've got your period so you just kind of deal with it right and then I think after passing out I was just like enough is enough this isn't normal this pain isn't normal and guys are so stupid sorry to say that but it's like male doctors who are just like it's not that bad take paracetamol take this take that lie down and it's like are you married do you have sisters do you talk to any women at all do you think I would waste my time coming to the doctor crying begging for help if it wasn't that bad and then one mum that I was working for at the time had just had a baby and she was like you know what maybe you should go and see my doctor she's a woman she's a gynecologist so I went to see her and I'd been to see gynecologists before and had examinations and everything and I was never told anything about endometriosis or maybe you want to do this or you know nothing I swear it took this one doctor like five minutes to diagnose me Maybe it was just that one woke doctor and my good luck. But she gave me an ultrasound and she was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like she said a lot of that before she actually told me what was wrong with me. It was petrifying. She was like, look at this on the screen. And I was like, what? Like, I don't know what's happening. And she was like, well, either you are pregnant right now or that is an absolutely humongous fibroid inside of you. And I took a photograph of it because I just couldn't believe it. And she was like, this is your womb. This is the space around your womb. And this is the space that the fibroid is taking up in your womb. And it was almost all of it. I've still got the photograph. It's insane. And she was like, you need to call a doctor this week to see when you can get that removed. And yeah, it just snowballed from there, really. And I absolutely refused from that point on to see any male doctors about this problem. I was just like, this is about my period, my body, my womb. So I don't want a man's opinion on it. I'm sure you're very trained in that area. But still, I'm only trusting a woman on this matter because it now looks like I have to be operated on, right? So I started to join women's groups, look more into what endometriosis was. And I think from point of diagnosis to hysterectomy, it was maybe seven, seven weeks. Yeah, at first, my gynecologist, even though she was super nice and really woke and she was like, hmm. I don't think you should have a hysterectomy. It's pretty drastic. You say you don't want kids now, but anything could happen, you know? And I was like, nah, listen to me. Well, let's play your game. Say I meet the absolute love of my life tomorrow. I'm 39. What are we going to do? Like, I'm going to suddenly decide I love him so much that I want to carry on having these painful periods. 
probably find it incredibly hard to conceive because I do have endometriosis and all the other reasons that I said I didn't want kids. Do you think that they're just going to suddenly disappear overnight because I'm in love with someone? Like that's a lot to not be bothered about for the sake of a man, right? <laughs> and then we just both <laughs> cracked up laughing and she was like, yeah, I'll, I'll sign your paper. You can have it direct to me. If you came and said that to me, I'd be like, yeah, all right, I get it. Like, no questions asked. I don't really know who these men are who are telling you no, because I don't really know how they can't see that you are just know what you want, you know? It's so many men that tell me. To the point, the insanity even reaches the level where on a dating app, okay, so I'm on Hinge, and Hinge is quite specific. You have to write if you want kids or not. You have to, like, all the questions are super specific, so you know as much about the person before you meet them. So my page clearly says I'm child-free, also can't have children. Like, that was my choice to put that information on there. Then you go on a date with a guy. So this guy was like, yeah, I don't want kids, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's like, yeah, I read your interview, this, that. It's really empowering, blah, blah, blah. He gave it all of that speech, you know, probably just wanted to get laid. Second date, he was like, mm, I've thought about it, actually. I really want kids. I really think you might change your mind too. And I'm like, excuse me? I've chosen not to have children. Do you understand how that works? He was like, yeah, but you can do surrogacy. You can adopt. I think you might still want to be a mum. And I was like, you're a prick. Just get out of my face. Don't waste my time again. Do me a favor. Don't waste any woman's time again. If she writes on her profile, if you meet her and the answers are no, no, no. How about you just take it as a fucking no? I mean, what you just said is like, it's, it's a question of consent, isn't it? Like, it's coming at us from every single angle. It's, I'm horrified. I don't know what to say. I mean, I think it's different for me because I do want kids, but I also feel like that's not taken seriously. Yeah. Like, I think there's been a lot of guys who've wasted my time knowing full well that I want kids without intending on on having kids with me I think it works both ways and I think in in the medical sense like I also had that experience so I was misdiagnosed with endometriosis when I was 19 by a male gynecologist he said you have endometriosis we're going to operate on you but you need to think about having kids very soon otherwise you're not going to be able to have kids oh yeah he operated on me I don't know what he did fast forward few years later I met a new gynecologist lady gynecologist and she was like I don't think you've got endometriosis I don't think you ever had it and this guy has left you with scar tissue when you said I don't want to see male doctors anymore I also made that decision then no more men looking at my equipment I said before I do want a family sometimes I wish I didn't Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I wish that I had that kind of attitude that, no, I just don't want to do it and I'm not going to do it because in a way it would be easier because then I could just live my life without everyone else giving me an opinion. But then everyone gives you an opinion anyway, I guess. So Yeah. I mean, I guess you are very much an independent woman. Like, you li- you know, you live on your own. And you, I guess you've lived on your own for a long time. Cause is there anything that you kind of go to when you cook for yourself? I do like food. I also really like cereal, which I'm not sure counts as food that you cook. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that, unfortunately, is... I'm going to have to lower the tone of the food podcast, but... No, it's fine. I love a low tone. That is my go-to. I'm upset. He's an idiot. I'm going to eat a bowl of toppers because it's super easy. I don't have to care about it. It's sugary, or I can have one that's not sugary, or I can have one that looks fun. I love cereal is like my chocolate, like my, ooh, I'm going to sit on the sofa and eat a whole bar of chocolate and feel bad. I think the worst ones I eat are toppers and crunching up cornflakes, but otherwise it's things like Weetabix, Shreddies, I don't know, so many, raisin wheats. Dinner for me is the hardest thing. I would like to eat dinner with someone or eat out. Also because of my job, right, I always have to cook and plan meals for a baby that usually involves cooking something nice and then smashing it all up or putting it in the blender. (laughs) So, Do you ever just take it home though, Liz? Yeah, I do. I've eaten mushy puree so many times because it tastes so damn good. But it's not Instagrammable, right? I can't be like, oh, this is what I'm eating for dinner. Oh, I'm so proud of this roast chicken I've made. <laughs> like, also just living on my own. I don't want to make these delicious big meals and then have to eat it four times the week, you know? Well, that's why you have to listen to my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I feel like there's a diet in that. I feel like you could start a diet fad, though eating some high quality home cooked baby food diet <laughs> like i feel like you could make millions of it to be honest with you all right let's tm it now it's my idea <laughs> we're gonna come up with fancy baby food also good for adults yeah <laughs> also good for the busy adult <laughs> <laughs> brilliant <laughs> nice. amazing yeah that's all the food chat needs to be i'm really happy with that cereal Perfect. and baby food <laughs> I think Liz might legitimately be a modern day Mary Poppins, but make Mary a feminist who discusses women's reproductive rights. She's got the whole I'll leave when the wind changes kind of vibe. And I can imagine her being a relatively stern but super fun nanny, which I think Mary Poppins was supposed to have been as well. I just wanted to talk about hysterectomies a little bit more. I mean, as you can hear, Liz is a super resolute person. You know, she did her research and she knew really what she wanted to do. I just need to make it clear that it isn't a case of having endometriosis or whatever other gynecological issue that you may have. So the easiest option is just to remove the womb and it'll all be gone, all your problems will be gone. I guess I just want everyone to be aware of the fact that though, you know, Liz tells a really good story and she's really hilarious, she did know that a hysterectomy was no laughing matter and there are so many implications of having this operation. You know, there's a massive massively long recovery time afterwards as there is when you remove any major organ and Liz you know really a couple of years after her hysterectomy is still recovering really. Thank you so much to Liz for sharing her story. I really wish her healing and I think the biggest thing I wish for Liz is no more bullshit in her life from here on in. If there's anything that we've spoken about in this podcast episode that has touched you or you feel like you want to share your own story of motherhood and loneliness or if you've had issues surrounding your own fertility, if you've had endometriosis or any other gynecological problem, feel free to get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. Now I'm going to leave 
luxury baby food recipes to Liz because she's already TM'd them. And I think it would be super patronising if I left you a recipe to make cereal. But in the theme of fun grains to eat at breakfast time, I do want to leave you with a recipe for one of my favourite things to make myself for breakfast overnight oats. I'm a bit lazy. I often can't really be bothered to make myself a good breakfast when I'm on my own. But sometimes I make a batch of this up and it usually lasts me about three or four days. Overnight oats are super simple to make and it always starts my day off the right way. You can top your oats with fun things like honey or nut butters or fruit or yogurt. So it doesn't feel like you're eating the same thing every day. And I think they're also quite good for snacks. You can find the recipe for overnight oats at howtoeatalone.substack.com and you can also subscribe to the Substack page if you want more recipes, more news, more things about loneliness. So have a look and see if either of the paid or the free subscription options take your fancy. I've put the links up to the We Are Child Free project which is awesome and you should definitely check it out and to a bunch of endometriosis help pages and a few bits of information about period health. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. (laughs) Uh, I just posted things that I found useful in the past. You can find out more about my podcast on Instagram. The handle is How To Eat Alone Podcast. As always, if you like this podcast, please, please share it with someone who you think might like it as well. Thank you for listening to me. I really hope you enjoyed being alone with me and I'll see you soon for the next episode of How To Eat Alone.